welcome to episode 321 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I am Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. We are firmly implanted in that Christmas time season. And in the previous episode, I tried to stir the pot of controversy at the top of our show oh, man. by talking about the best representation of Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. And uh, I guess not shockingly, we agreed. And then I received zero feedback from all of our listeners, which I took as tacit approval Yes, that the Muppets Christmas Carol is the best representation. So I'm just going to try to stir it up again at the start of this particular episode by saying this. Here's my hot take. In terms of Christmas movies, the movie Elf, not that good. Oh, can't get into it. Not really that funny. Not even a great Christmas movie. I'll fight you. Go ahead. I really like Elf. I think, uh, I think Elf is a, it's a movie that is sort of supposed to be making fun of traditional classic Christmas movies and accidentally became like an actual classic Christmas movie. So I'm not like a huge, like, I'm not going to like go to the mat for Elf, but I, I, I like the movie. I, I don't think I've watched it this year, but I usually watch it at least once. That movie is actually like pretty old now. I mean, it, it came now. out quite a long time ago. It is now. That's kind of a meta description of it though. Yeah. What you got going on there. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it definitely is intending to make fun of classic Christmas movies a little bit. Um, but I, I really do think it kind of accidentally became its own new classic. It's kind of the spirit of the age kind of thing where like the, uh, sort of jaded, let's make fun of the classics of the past thing kind of came home to roost in it. And then all of a sudden now it's, it's kind of its own thing. So yeah, just, just can't get into it for whatever reason. And I think that people love it for a variety of reasons and I have no qualm with those reasons. Here's one thing I will say in its favor. It is mostly, mostly appropriate. Yeah. There's a shocking number. I was thinking about this this week. There's a shocking number of Christmas movies that are just inappropriate. I have inappropriate scenes that you really should move through yeah. very quickly or fast forward. Uh, for me, Elf, that weird like shower singing. That's the scene. only scene that's even a little Super bit weird. Yeah. A little bit questionable. Other than that, it's, it's all appropriate. There's a little tiny bit of like mild cussing but it's it's That's very true. mild um and it's very much James Khan standard kind of language so the the one scene that i think is hilarious is when they hire uh i'm spoiler alert i guess but um <laughs> they hire in this famous this. uh this famous like children's story writer to come in and like rescue the company by giving them an idea and it's a uh, uh, I think probably technically he's a dwarf, I guess would be dwarfism would be the the technical politically correct, I don't know, medical term. And and Will Ferrell's character keeps calling him an elf and the guy just gets raged and he's like, oh, he's an angry elf. I think that that scene, I think I don't that that's a funny scene. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Even though we're telling it, that was yeah. that was actually pretty good. Yep, that's that's my hot take. And I think that maybe that will be the hottest take of this entire episode, although possibly not, because we're getting into pivoting a little bit and talking about church and culture. And the conversation today that you're about to hear 
is going to be all about corporate worship, especially psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. So, and maybe not again in the way you would expect. You might be asking, haven't you done episodes like this? Haven't you talked about the regular principle of worship? We have, brothers and sisters, but this is a slightly different take on that whole conversation. And it's certainly more within the scope and the rubric of corporate worship. And of course, we're going to talk about that. Maybe it'll be as contentious as that really calm conversation we just had about two sides when i started it by saying i will fight you and then we were like that's not that big of a deal (laughs) it's it's not that big a deal (laughs) yeah Yeah. but of course before we do that let's do some affirming and denying what are you affirming on this episode so um the people who are in the the telegram chat are not going to be surprised at this because i've been a little bit obsessed with this this week um, I'm affirming this this new phenomena that I'm sure most people have seen. It's called Chat GPT, and it right. is an artificial intelligence chatbot that um, I don't even know who's making it. I don't I don't know anything about it. I'm probably selling all my secrets to China um, by putting information into this. But it's a legitimate AI chat program. Um, it's not. There's been some chat programs like chat AI programs in the past that basically all they do is they go out and they pull a quote from like Wikipedia or a search page. This chat bot, as far as I can understand it from a technical perspective, is not doing that. It actually was trained and fed a ton of data. um, And now it's actually churning and synthesizing that. And as people, and it actually looks at you, you have to create a login account. So it, it remembers your previous conversations and what you've said is right or wrong, the questions you've asked, it remembers those before. Uh, It is pretty remarkable what this thing can do. So just for example, um, we're going to be talking about worship today. So I asked it to summarize the first section of chapter 21. I asked it to convert that to a tweet. So it took a, a section that is probably, I don't know, that's probably 50, 60, maybe 70 words, and it it trimmed it down to the light of nature revealed that there is a night of nature reveals that there is a loving God and sovereign God to be worshipped according to his revealed will in the Holy Scripture, not according to human imagination or the suggestion of Satan. I also said convert, um, uh, let's see, it's section, yeah, that same one, section two, convert that to a tweet, and it did it in one spot, and then I said convert that to a tweet with hashtags, and it added hashtags. Uh, yesterday, I was doing things like write an angry letter from Karl Marx to Herman Bovink, and it actually like came up with a letter that would be a reasonable conversation between the two people. It was able to pull out like areas of philosophical thought that the two would disagree on. Um, I asked it to do that between uh, Cornelius Van Til and Greg Bonson. I just said write an ang- write a- an angry email exchange between these two people, and it it pulled out that the disagreement between the two would be on the theonomic application of the moral law. So it's really looking through things. It's really coming up with actually pretty good stuff. So check it out. I mean, it's pretty sweet. I told it to write a sonnet about the Reformed Brotherhood, and it was uh, was pretty good about what it it came up with. (laughs) It was. (laughs) Uh, I also asked it to write a web page landing, and it said, hosted by the brothers Joel and Brandon. So it's got a little bit of, a little (laughs) bit to go. I don't know who Joel is or Brandon. but I'd uh, listen to them, though. I mean, we've had we've had people named Brandon on the show before, so that's maybe true. that's that's it. Maybe we're Joel and Brandon, and I just don't know it yet. That's totally true. In an alternate reality, that's who's leading this podcast. That sounds like a great podcast. I'd listen to it all the time. Yeah, I'm just going to ask it right now. What are you affirming today? Oh, it doesn't know what it doesn't know what that means. So it's still got a ways to go. 
<laughs> let down. Wah, wah. Yeah, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> yeah, this thing is pretty epic. I've seen this all over the internet. And of course, its great strength is in the ability to pull together all that disparate stuff in a way that's actually meaningful and right. substantive. So I've seen this posted like on almost every subject online, especially, and I'm seeing it more where people in the financial world are like losing their minds because you can ask it like you're doing to basically bring in nuance, nuanced argumentation and compose something. Yeah. And they're like, it's actually doing it. And like what it says makes sense. And it's, it's one thing to just be like, Hey, write a script out yeah. of, you know, the ether, but this is totally different because you're asking it to basically be thoughtful. So to speak about the argumentation or the content that's yeah. producing in a way that's highly nuanced. So it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. I just typed in, what are the concerns with eternal functional subordination in 25 words? And its response was, the main concern with the doctrine of eternal functional subordination is that it implies that the Son and Holy Spirit are not equal in nature or essence to the Father, which contradicts the doctrine of the Trinity. This belief has also been criticized for potentially undermining the unity of the Godhead and the full deity of Christ. Boom. I mean, that's like a that's like a good Boom. definition. It um, is. And this isn't just pulling. I mean, I've I've checked it. If you copy and paste that paragraph into Google, as far as I can understand it, you should not find unless someone has asked the same question and just copied and pasted it. But you can even do things like if you type um, explain John three sixteen versus exegete John three sixteen, it will come up with different answers. And the one where you uh, tell it to exegete John three sixteen. We'll we'll pull out Greek phrases and we'll talk about argumentation in the Greek rather than just explaining it from the English. It's it, it's actually a little bit scary uh, what this thing can do. So check it out. Uh, probably don't put in your credit card number because who knows where this data is getting collated. But it, it like they one of the demos they do is they they show like somebody basically putting in like a block of code and saying my code's not compiling correctly. What's wrong with it? And the the chat bot will ask you questions like, well, what are you trying to do with the code? What's the purpose of the code? What's the right. error that you're getting? And it actually came out with a solution to the code that the person who put it in probably would not have come up with on their own, but was a viable solution to fix the code. So it's it's pretty slick. We're living in the future. Yeah, I'm here for it. This is it. Here's what, well, what, should we just let people in? Here's what people should know is that the last four episodes actually have just been <laughs> chat GPT. Yes. Creating yeah. a, a dialogue for us yes. back and forth. We're not even actually doing this. I, I'm not even, this actually what I'm saying right now isn't even actually me. Yeah. I, for one, welcome our new AI overlords. <laughs> but I mean, Listen, I, just thinking like this could be really useful too. Obviously, like we want to do our own thinking, but you and I could recite arguments for against the eternal functional subordination or summarize the concerns for sure. But I can type in, I could type in that same thing, right? I did it in 25 words. I can say, do it in 10 words. And although I should be able to, and probably need to learn how to sort of pare stuff down myself, this can help you to structure your thought or to give you a starting point. Um, or if you're just really struggling to, to summarize and pare down a phrase or a sentence, you can put in whatever you have. If you're writing a paper and you want to get an idea about how to take a paragraph and shrink it down to less words or to a certain number of sentences, you can just toss that right in there and say, shorten this to 15 words and it'll do it. Uh, I would imagine, I guess I haven't tried it yet, but I would imagine that if it's 
if it somehow says that's not possible, it would actually just say, I can't do that. It's not possible. Right. Um, I can't, I can't apply all the arguments, whatever. Um, it has some limitations. If you ask it to like defend a religious argument or to argue against religious argument, um, they've programmed it to say like, well, that's not really my role. I don't, I'm not really competent to do that, but you can actually get pretty good, the same effect by tweaking your words a little bit. Like you could say, um, explain the doctrine of eternal generation supported by or with with scripture and it'll just give you a list of passages that support the doctrine and from what i've seen right. it's actually fairly accurate which is is um i think that's the scary part is it's it's actually pulling through that stuff you could say exegete this passage from a calvinistic perspective and it would be able probably would be able to do that so yeah i've been playing with this all week it's it's pretty slick I can tell. Listen, we're living in the future, loved ones. And just like you, I, for one, welcome our robot overlords, as long as they have biblical theology. Exactly. So what are you affirming this week? So compared to that, mine's kind of puffy. It's just uh, pure cream, which is okay from time to time. So I'm also going to affirm with something on the internet that I recently ran across. And I think it's just kind of a fun thing to have that brings a little bit of convenience. This is particularly well suited toward mobile devices. But it's a web search engine that's called Swirl, S-W-U-R-L.com. And it instantly searches Google, LinkedIn, Instagram, Amazon, YouTube, Images, News, and Reddit all at once. Wow. So if you're looking, especially again, if you're, you're on your device somewhere and you just want to get, you would look at all those things anyway, or you're curious to see this really broad shotgun search approach, go check out Swirl. I don't know if there are robot overlords involved, but because this entire thing has been written by ChatGPT, I presume there are. So it's just a way to get you to, again, it's, it's a way, Tony, for you to get to sell more of whatever your secrets are to China, <laughs> since they apparently want them. I mean, apparently I'm fine with it. So I don't know what else to say about it. I, I think you and I have taken a pretty standard <laughs> stance on like technology privacy concerns. We're like, that's fine. That's totally yeah, fine. Right. That Google knows where I am all the time. Um, yes. They already knew where I was all the time. I might as well get something out of it. So it's better just to know that you're the product. Right. If you can get there, and if you're okay with that, that's fine. That's yeah. a, there's always an, an equal exchange of value or goods there, even if it's your own information. But like I've said a couple of times when we've chatted on the podcast, I love to make my like uh, Amazon smart devices recite back to me passage of the scripture or the gospel. Like I will purposefully challenge Alexa with, with saying like, you know, things about the scriptures that I know that she's going to be like, I don't understand what it is that you want. And I'll be like, you don't understand what you're listening. Somebody recorded <laughs> that and is going to try to understand in some log somewhere yep. how they can better answer that question. So she's actually freaking out right now because I've said her name several times. So I, I'm down for that. Yeah. Yeah. The, every once in a while you do, you do get a stark reminder that, uh, everything is listening all the time. This happens yes. all the time where I will be having a conversation with someone and I'm just talking casually. And then all of a sudden my watch is like, I'm sorry, I didn't quite get that. And I'm like, Oh, that's right. Apple is listening. <laughs> <laughs> Here's speaking of listening. Uh, and this is perfect for where we're at in the show chronology right now for this episode. So Last week in our affirmation time, I affirmed with this drink that I called the Zwingli. It was part cranberry, part apple cider, part 
um, cinnamon whiskey. And I was expressing to my wife afterwards, who's been making these drinks, that I'd done that. And she chastised me very gently in saying that I'd had the wrong measurements. And because somehow she must be listening right now, she just texted me and said, I hope you're telling the listeners that you gave them the wrong measurements for the fireball <laughs> drink. So out of deference to her, the correct measurements are one third cup of the apple cider, one third cup of cranberry juice, one tiny little bottle or like a shot of the fireball whiskey. So I have now fulfilled my obligation because just like everything else, uh, Jen was also listening. Nice. Yes. Yeah. So let's do some denying. Let's get after some hard denials against what you got. So I'm denying my own uh, editing and uploading skills. So I caused <laughs> okay. quite a consternation among the Reform Brotherhood community. Uh, not only did I upload the wrong file, which was just me, it was just me. Uh, so one half of a conversation, no music, just just Tony. But there also, uh, I had to record in a different location on a different microphone last week. So my audio, we, we commonly say uh, that part of what Patreon does is it makes it so we don't sound like we're in a tin can. And then almost almost to a T, uh, the next time we release an episode, <laughs> something has happened and one of us sounds like we're in a tin can. So right. if for some reason you haven't gotten the episode last week that contains both me and Jesse, just clear out your downloaded file and re-download it. Uh, my audio won't be any better than it was, but at least you'll get Jesse and Jesse's audio was much, much better. Maybe I should upload a copy of just Jesse's audio since it was not, it was the non-tin can edition. I think it's actually super fun when that happens accidentally. And then somebody, listeners, you can just kind of insert what you think I was saying <laughs> just from like how Tony was responding. Because again, what happened actually last week is that my audio was totally lost. So we had a chat AI bot just create my audio in response to what Tony was saying. And that's what you actually heard in the re-upload file. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> Somebody's going to think that is yeah. exactly what happened. What, what actually happened is there's a weird quirk in the audio editing software that I use. Uh, a common thing that you have to do when you're you're doing multi-track editing is you have to like solo one track so you can isolate a particular sound or, or right. level it so you can hear it clearly. Uh, I had my track soloed. And then uh, when you export it, if you have a track muted or a track soloed, it mimics the actual sound profile instead of exporting all of the underlying audio, which no other editing software I've ever used does that. So I just had to re-edit it. But I got like a panic text message from uh, from one of our uh, listeners in Scotland who had already had the file for some time and was like, uh, I'm not sure what happened, but uh, I think something's wrong with your audio. <laughs> so thank you to those who alerted me. Sorry for the inconvenience. But yeah, if you haven't gotten last week's episode, I think it was a good episode. Uh, great. And I think Jesse had a lot of great things to say. So don't just listen to me. <laughs> so go and uh, clear out Thank your you. downloaded episode, re-download it from whatever source you're using, and you should get the new file in your in your um, podcast feed. Right. Or if you just want to have a fun adventure and participate in exercise, pretend you're in the episode. Talk back to Tony. Yeah, see like what he one, says to you. It's like one of those one of those performance tracks where there's like background singers, but no foreground <laughs> singer. You can be on the show yourself. Just pretend that you're in Jesse's spot. I like that. This is a good time again to sneak in with a plug. It's true that the support that we receive financially through Patreon does make sure, generally speaking, that all of this comes together in a way that's pleasant and amicable to your ears. Because nowadays, when you think about it, and, and you gave them some insight to the inside baseball, 
So we actually have the, the equipment that records separate tracks. You merge those tracks together. They actually get mixed and adjusted so that the level of our voices is pleasant yeah. and in balance. All that stuff now is kind of table stakes for when you listen to something, but it doesn't come free of charge. Nice. So there is expense in making sure with the services that we have, the subscriptions that we need to undertake to make sure that this happens so that by the time it drops onto your mobile device or your computer, it just sounds natural and normal because sometimes actually your mixing is so good Actually, I would say all the time it's great, but sometimes it's so good that people actually think we are in the yeah. same room all the time. Yeah. Just, I don't like shoulder to shoulder, like cheek to cheek, just speaking into the same <laughs> microphone. That's how good it sounds. Yeah. Well, and actually this is something most people, I kind of joked around about how inflation hasn't been terrible to the podcast world. But one of the things that actually has affected podcasters is a lot of things that you used to pay a one-time fee for. Um, like you would buy a software and you would just have that software. Right. A lot of those things actually have converted in the software space, at least, which most of what you do with podcasting is related to software, have converted to a subscription model. So the software that I use is called Hindenburg. If you're ever looking to, to make a podcast, it's a great software. It automatically levels. It applies profiling, voice profiling to make everybody sound like they're an NPR show host. Literally, it, they took like hundreds of hours of NPR audio and uh, you just apply a basically a filter that kind of matches your voice to that timber. Um, it used to be that you buy the software and then they, I got an email that was like, Hey, by the way, we're going to switch this. If you want to keep using it, you're going to owe us $15 a month. So yeah. there have been changes in, in cost structures for things that podcasters use. So we, we really, really appreciate all the people who support us. Um, it's easy to do if you've got a little bit left over after you've fulfilled your local obligations and your obligations to your church. Um, if you want to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash reform brotherhood. Yeah. Thanks so much for that. I appreciate that. Everybody who's given in any kind of way keeps it free of charge. And that's our commitment is that yep. it will always be available to whoever wants to listen. Yes, absolutely. So what are you denying? <laughs> I almost forgot again. I got so lost in, in my pondering. No, that's okay. I, I'm hoping you'll join in. I'm hoping actually this won't just be my thing, but we can make it our thing together. So you remember uh, we're in the advent calendar of denials. Yes. That's what we are. So some people will remember if you, and you, if you don't, that's okay. Just go back and listen, but I'll give you a quick summary. Two weeks ago or two episodes ago, what I started with was in this advent calendar of denials was singing casually this time of year. And then last week I spoke a little bit about my denial against Christmas as an appeal rather than an announcement and get ready. If we're opening up the advent calendar for this episode, here's what you find on the inside. It is denying against a fragmentation of that announcement of Christmas in the gospel and the good news. So the denial maybe stems from this idea that I don't really enjoy puzzles that much. Actually, do you, do you like the puzzle? Do you mean like the regular puzzle? Like you put together the pieces? Yes. I'm not like really a jigsaw a fan. puzzle. No, I don't have the patience for it. Yeah. So I, I also strange, like I want to want to like it. You know, people just seem to have this great joy yeah. of putting together these disparate pieces. And then of course, seeing the image united in front of them, but also like it seems to bring them comfort and peace, which yeah. is the opposite thing that it brings me. Yeah. I'm like, we already have the picture on the front of the box. Why do we need to put the picture together? <laughs> You're just too pragmatic. It's like, it's right there. Just cut the I box see the open Thomas and hang it on painting the already. Yeah. I can see the picture. It's right there. Why do I have to put that together? But my wife is jubilant and joyous she loves about puzzles. Puzzle. Yeah, she really yeah, does. Yeah, she, she's good at it. She gets joy from it. She can sit there and do it. And her focus and the, the pro... Anyway, 
when I do a puzzle, here's what happens is I just get smug about putting together a couple of pieces. And then, you know, if, if my wife is like, where do you think that goes? I'm like, oh, I have no idea. So it's like just a horse head or I don't know, like a random person or like a clump <laughs> of snow or a tree or something like that. This is kind of the fragmentation I see sometimes if we get to the announcement of Christmas that happens. It's this whole idea of like, well, Jesus comes and here's this baby born to us. And I think for the most part, a lot of the unbelieving world is like, so what? Like the fragmentation of the story divorced from the full context of the scripture is problematic at best and really harmful at worst. Yeah. So like I'm, I'm kind of denying against that fragmentation and instead saying, let's replace that announcement with the full announcement. That is the nice thing about Advent, formal representation of it or people who are focused on the liturgy of the church, it does this thing at the very least. And that is, it gets us in the right context with the full scope of the message. So yeah. the full, to me, the full counsel of God is necessary at all times and especially at Christmas. And instead we tend to kind of like package it up, compartmentalize it, fragment it. Yeah. And then what happens is it, it gets divorced of why, why, why should I care? You know? Yeah. So even in including, and this kind of annoys me, is when we sometimes focus on, well, Jesus came to die. Yeah, certainly that's true, right? But that's that's only even a part. That's a fragment of the full gospel message. So like you can see the unbeliever saying, okay, well, that's great. But like, okay, I guess I'm compelled by the, any story of love and sacrifice. But what does that have to do with me? Yeah. That is the danger of, of fragmentation. So like, how do you feel? You want to join in on this advent calendar denial Boy, thing? Boy, do I. So- <laughs> this I actually most weeks so most weeks I struggle uh either to come up with an affirmation or a denial or like three minutes beforehand and I'm like oh what am I gonna do sometimes right. that's because I have so many things that I want to affirm or want to deny and sometimes it's just that my week has been so busy and more often than not it's because I've I had a list of things in my head and I forgot to write them down and I've totally forgotten the things that I was gonna do so this is actually one of the when I when before we were recording I was like oh man I had a denial and I forgot what it was this is actually what it was. So let me read to you. I'm reading uh, uh, John Piper's organization, um, Desiring God, sent our church. I'm not sure how this came about, but they sent our church uh, several copies of an uh, Advent devotional that he wrote called Good News for Great Joy. So AI. it was a gift from them. I'm reading it. Um, it's got lots of good stuff. Most of it's just general reflections on the incarnation. But uh, on day... Which day is this? Day 11, the section of the uh, the title of the uh, devotion is called Why Jesus Came. And this is on page 64, if anybody cares. But it um, it starts out talking about how, you know, Christ was was existent before the incarnation. And he's sort of walking through a passage in Hebrews. And then he says, the reason he became man was to die. As God pure and simple, he could not die for sinners, but as man, he could. His aim was to die. Therefore, he had to be born human. He had to, bo had to be born to die, or he was born to die. Good Friday is the purpose of Christmas. This is what most people today need to hear about the meaning of Christmas. Ooh. Now, all of that's true. Yes. But it is also completely incomplete. So, yes, um, exactly. I just say that because I I'm on the exact same page with you, and I think particularly at Christmas, particularly evangelicals, we either, either we compartmentalize Christmas in one sense in that, like we totally divorce it from everything else in biblical theology. Like it's sort of this nice story about goodwill and family and, and like Jesus coming to earth is that's like God's goodwill towards man. But like, there's no connection to how and why and what actually causes that to be the goodwill towards man. Right. Um, or, 
we we divorce it from its actual the incarnation from its actual meaning, which of course exactly. is so Christ could come and learn obedience by suffering and and right on right, but not just for that. He also lived right. a righteous life on our behalf. Yes, and that is imputed to us not just because of the uh, because of the cross, right? Christ imputes his. Let me put it this way. The suffering of Christ doesn't start at Calvary. It starts at the moment of conception. The passion of Christ doesn't start in Passion Week. And the passion of Christ is not just limited to Christ's death on the cross. It's it's his whole life. It's his whole ministry is the passion of Christ in a in a maybe a less significant or less um acute way than the the Passion Week as we think of it is. But yeah, I think you're right on that we do tend to sort of like split up the ministry of Christ. We divide it up and either we disconnect Christmas from it entirely and it's just this sort of like nice prologue to Christ's ministry. Right. We don't think of the incarnation and the the birth of Christ. We don't think of that as essential to the ministry of Christ, except insofar as it made that what we think of as like the actual ministry of Christ, it made that possible. Right. And there's no wrong time, of course, we talked about this a great length, to appreciate worship and study or marinate in the incarnation. You should, we should be doing that all the time. Right. So, but beyond that too, it's it, like you said, it's not just that we sometimes forget this great condescension of God to come and learn obedience, have fingernails and to be tired, have sore muscles and to be hungry. You know, like it's, this is the worst possible metaphor because it falls so short. It's like, it's worse than you or I like becoming an ant. Yeah. It's, it's much more uh, dramatic than that. Oh, yeah. So there's that whole thing. And then what really gets me <laughs> is like, in addition to that, it's so uh, everybody, I'm going to give you a warning that I'm about to border on the two CV in your ears right oh, now no. with a reference. But one of the things I, there's an image around Christmas time that I really dislike. It's maybe people have seen this. It's, it's at least like the baby in the manger with like a shadow of the cross superimposed. Yeah. And again, that misses, I'm like, where, where's the shadow of like the tassels on the robes? Like where's the shadow of everything else that Christ did yeah. to undertake and restore the human condition. And if we just jump ahead not only do we miss that, it's like a massive gap in like the ministry of Jesus. But in addition to that, I, I think what it does is it doesn't give us any of like the prologue, the real prologue, which right. was the people were waiting in darkness. And so also were we. And so like, that's what Advent gets right is this waiting, this anticipation of the savior, because without the anticipation, if you just say like, well, here, Jesus shows up, God shows up. You'd be like, okay, that's fine. Why? Like hangs yeah. out for a little bit. And he dies an ignominious death. And that seems very tragic that he was killed and misunderstood. It misses the whole point. So like we need the whole counsel of God in our Christmas. We need all of it. If in fact we want to actually make the proper announcement. And so that's where this episode's denial comes in. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I hate it because it's a denial, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's a good denial. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I mean, it's I'm not trying to be too angry about it. I'm just thinking that I'm, mainly these denials, if anybody is wondering, they come out of my own life where I'm reading and thinking, man, I need to get this right, or I've just got this gap yeah. here, and I get some conviction that I've just you know compartmentalized things too much, or I just think about it in a particular way. So, really, this Advent denial calendar is just a basic opening of my own life. And each time you open up one of the little doors or the windows, what you're seeing is me doing that. So we've got the deny against casual singing this time of year. We've got the deny against Christmas as an appeal rather than announcement. And this week, deny against a fragmentation of the quote unquote Christmas message, which I'd rather just say is the gospel yeah. message. But 
That's enough. I feel like we denied. Here's the thing. We're right on the money, Tony. 30-minute mark. I, I know that's kind of been like the informal or informal. I like informal. Yes. It's because it's not like I wanted to emphasize that uh, we're kind of undoing what is yeah. formal. And that's just, we never agreed upon it, but we're about there. So yeah. let's talk about congregational worship. And yes. in particular, this phrase that comes to us out of Ephesians if only Paul would just have told us exactly what he was writing about and what he means when he said, yes. you know what you guys should do? You should sing to each other psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Clearly, he was using that with 21st century language where he's trying to say, I know you guys have these labels. I know you have Fanny Crosby up in there. I know you have Chris <laughs> Tomlin. And I know you know what psalms are. So I just want to make sure that I'm kind of postdating this and dropping it into your life so yeah. that you will properly understand corporate worship. Where should we begin? Yeah. Well, I think uh, where we usually begin is with a, a statement out of our one of our confessional standards, uh, not because the confessions supplant scripture, but because they're very useful summaries of scripture. So uh, I'm looking here and we're, we're kind of structuring this section out of... Um, out of the confession, we're structuring corporate worship. It's coming kind of out of chapter 21 and it's the religious worship and the, and the Sabbath day. And I'm not going to read the whole uh, section, but the thing we have to keep in mind is that the, uh, the confession is putting forward uh, what's known as the regulative principle of worship. So we've, we've done right. episodes on the regulative principle of worship. We talked just recently about how the regulative principle is actually a broader principle in Reformed theology. Um, so we're not going to rehash all that ground. But um, one of the things that is important here is that our music is not, um, our music's not exempt from that. And so there's a range of views um, of what exactly that means. Does it mean that we can only sing the songs that God has given us in the scripture? Does it mean we can only sing the Psalms? Does it mean that we can sing other parts of scripture, but only the ones that seem to be songs? Could we take other parts of scripture that are not songs and write music to them? Right. Could I like, could I take uh, like the book of Jude and write it, like compose, compose music and, and turn it into a song. All of these are questions that get asked Sometimes people feel like it's a nitpicky kind of particular question. They get asked because we're trying to take the regulative principle of worship, which is just sola scriptura applied to liturgy, sola scriptura applied right. to how we conduct ourselves on the Lord's day. That's all that the regulative principle is when it's applied to worship is how is it that we understand that God is commanding us and that his commands come through scripture. We have to take that seriously when we're selecting or identifying what kinds of songs, not just what kinds of songs in terms of like the style, although I think that's a valid question to ask, but what kinds of songs in terms of the content. We've talked a lot about how people who lead musical worship have a very serious grave responsibility because they are literally choosing words to put in the mouths of the congregation with which right to on. worship God. And that's a serious, serious thing. So I'm not going to read any specific part out of the confession right now, but this is coming these next several episodes on corporate worship and different elements of what different elements, excuse the unintentional, but now intentional pun, the different elements of corporate worship that we need to talk about. It's all coming out of chapter 21 of the confession. So before you get to the next episode, why don't you pause the episode now, go read it, and then we'll come back. And we're back because this is podcasting <laughs> and time travel apparently is a thing. So we wanted to talk about 
musical worship, not just, um, you know, what kind of songs do you like? Can we sing Hillsong songs? That I mean, those are important right. questions. But I wanted to get more at sort of the foundational elements of why it is that we sing, and then what is it that God commands us to do in singing? Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think that's the heart of it. And right. I, I, for some reason, because and we talked about this before, especially uh, with kind of private worship in music, we've talked about the fact that style is is agnostic to theology. So, you know, like it, it's more about the content of the song yeah. than it is about the, the actual notes and the style itself. However, there's something to be said for making something that's useful for worship on the Lord's Day. And I think you're getting to the heart of it because so many times this kind of conversation devolves into things that are on the periphery instead of like the center of gravity. Yeah. And so when I think about this question of what is congregational singing, what is like the long range goal in congregational singing? It's that everything that we do in Christian worship and in all of life, we should do for the sake of honoring God. And in some ways, or in all ways, that's for the sake of promoting the glory of God and the unity of God's people. So there's like a forward-looking, unidirectional focus on what we do, especially when we come to the Lord's house on the Lord's day. So the Bible indicates that church meetings, just generally, the, the congregation, the gathering of God's people should have an aim of building up the church. That's right. like 1 Corinthians 14, 26. So the goal is that the people should grow in spiritual maturity, not only individually, but as a body, as a community. So nearly all of the whole of like almost everything that Paul writes, but especially like 1 Corinthians, is about the importance of building up the church and how this goal regulates and guides the details of what happens during a congregational assembly. So when we get to all these epistles where Paul is enumerating, explaining, and articulating what that means, he has a focus on building up the church. And that focus, one of the ways it is manifest is surprisingly, or maybe it shouldn't be, is in singing. Yeah, That the singing itself is meant to build up the church, which is why Paul is particular to give very basic instruction with like strong parameters around it so that we can have two goals before us, the glory of God and the building of the church. And so I would submit that like, as we start talking about this, that's what we should have in mind. And at any point when we deviate from coming back to that as the center, we've gone too far. We're out of bounds. Yeah. Yeah. So we should probably just get the elephant in the room out of the way and talk Let's about exclusive it. psalmody. So exclusive psalmody is a hot button topic in the reformed world. Um, I'm I'm trying to be gracious to um, my exclusive psalmody brothers, but I think it is a position that lends itself to sort of a cage stage. So a lot of times people come into reformed theology, they they get uh, they get a little taste of the confessions, and then they they all of a sudden hear about exclusive psalmody, and it goes very quickly from like. Yeah, like better is one day in your courts is my favorite song to like, if you ever sing a song that wasn't written by David, and if you don't sing it in the original Hebrew, like you're the devil and you're making up worship. Like I've had people tell me like, you've got to sing Psalms or like God doesn't accept your worship. And right. I understand the argument that's being made. And I think in some cases, there are those who make that argument in dispassionate and in, um, I think, as charitable as, as can be made uh, fashion. Right. I think that that's not an accurate understanding of what the Bible is teaching. Um, and I think that all of our worship is tainted by sin and by imperfection. So if if God only accepts pure, perfect worship, then we're all in a lot of trouble. 
So the the main argument for for exclusive psalmody is actually almost like an argument, uh, like an argument by default. And it's what it's saying. And I want to be charitable. So if you are an exclusive psalmody advocate or or whatever, and and you are feel misrepresented, please let me know because I don't want to be uncharitable in this. But the main argument for exclusive psalmody is simply a, a direct application of sola scriptura to say right. that we are not given. And it's it's the regulative principle applied very strictly in this case to say we are not given any command to write new songs, to write new lyrics with which to sing. And since the scripture provides us with songs with which to sing, then we ought to use those songs and only those songs. It's actually a very straightforward, and I think I understand why it's a compelling argument. Um, I think at the end of the day, I don't think it takes into account the whole counsel of God. And that's why I, I don't right. hold to exclusive psalmody, because I think I actually think that what Paul is saying in, in Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19, which are very close passages, I actually think that that is a command for us to write songs as the New Testament church, as those who are now after the cross and resurrection of Christ and after Pentecost, we now have a further, fuller revelation of God. I actually think that those those passages include a command for us to uh, create songs uh, right by the Spirit. Um, there's a good argument to be had, and actually I, I don't know that I, I would go this far yet, but I, I think there's a good argument to be had that those who are composing songs with which to sing to put in the mouths of the congregation that they should they should be theologically trained i think probably they should be those who are elders in the church um i've heard that argument and i find it very compelling so i wanted to get that out there because i don't want this this whole episode to be about exclusive psalmody i want it to be bigger than that and, and more expansive than that but i don't think we can get by this episode without addressing it on some level yeah, that's fair. It's not less than that, right? And you're certainly, we're not making the argument that you can't sing the Psalms in right. their current state and enjoy them, bring them into corporate worship. We ought to. In fact, probably most churches would be benefited from a greater fidelity or at least a particularism in selecting the music that they sing. Because it's not just about a, a catchy riff or a right. great melody. It's really more about that theological content. But I'm totally with you because I think if you're measuring it by that standard, and I, what I want to do is take the exclusive psalmody standard and just apply that to everything that we sing, right? Which is, if this song isn't connected with great fidelity to what the scriptures teach, isn't a true expression, isn't rooted in a scriptural approach to worshiping God, both horizontally and vertically as participants in that worship, then we should throw it out. You know, if it's too much about us, if it's too much about, um, you know, if it's, if it's focused on distractions rather than on like the center of good theology, it's just not helpful. It's not profitable. There's so much better things to sing and you should start with the Psalms with respect to that. Yeah. But I don't think it ends there to your point. And by the way, I think like if you were chilling at Ephesus when Paul's letter arrived and you had like a quote unquote Bible, that's air quotes, like in your church, it was the Septuagint. Right. And if you like browse through the book of Psalms, three terms would keep appearing in the titles. And you'd of course just been normatively familiar with them. And those are the three terms that Paul uses right. in like Ephesians. They're kind of redundant. Like if you think about them in terms of like their English translations, all he's basically saying is that these are the terms that you're used to seeing as you went through the Psalter. Right. I, I think we, t we make too much of them as like distinguishing or differentiating them. And I don't think it's a call, even as Paul writes it, to say, you must only sing the Psalms. That was what was available. Right. 
you know, it, and that was the best representation. Also, it was already the Israelite songbook right. for which there was music accompanying these particular lyrics. And so one of the benefits, I think, of being alive in this day and age, post the cross and the resurrection, is the ability, like we said, when we have a strong conviction to make sure that the scripture is the thing that's primary and gets hegemony in our expression of worship, to write songs of a different nature that express those different texts and ideas in quote unquote new ways. Yeah. So I, I think that like all three of the terms that we find there, the, the Psalms, hymn, spiritual songs, they're all over the Psalms. And in the title of one composition, the book of Psalms, they're all present actually all together. It, it's kind of like these synonyms for this expression of worship that is rooted in the scripture. And if we make that have primacy over everything that we do, then I think we're on firm ground, yeah. even if we move away from the Psalms. But you and I have been outspoken about things like the Trady Psalter hymnal and how useful those resources are. Like we're not against singing the Psalms. We do better to maybe bring more of those in, especially the Psalms of lament and grieving and mourning. All that stuff is like appropriate. We find like the full breath and scope of emotion in the Psalms. We find that really cry for help that you you don't really find in kind of contemporary song making because it's mostly about like, look what God has done for me. And I'm so much better off because of God. And like, there, there is times where that's appropriate, but yeah. that again is on the periphery. It's, it's not at the center. Yeah. And of course, you know, what you just said is true. And it's one of the arguments that's made in favor of exclusive psalmody is that the three terms that Paul uses in both of these passages are common title. They're common words used in the titles right. of the Psalms. And so the argument for exclusive psalmody in the way that this, these passages are interpreted is that Paul is commanding the Ephesian and Colossian believers to sing uh, the Psalter. And so it sees these three terms as like a threefold title, basically, for the entire Psalter, kind of the way that the the Jewish um, people, and you see Christ do this, talks about the law, the prophets, and the writings. So that threefold, right. that threefold title for the entire Old Testament, there's a similar thing going on with the Septuagint titles in the Septuagint Psalter. Now, I think there's a question mark that has to have because the Septuagint has 151 psalms. So do we sing that 151st psalm? I actually have a little bit of a different take on these passages. And, and this is why I think this is where I go to say, no, we're actually commanded. Because the, the question about exclusive psalmody is not, um, if we're not careful, the people who are trying to make an argument against exclusive psalmody actually end up making a normative principle uh, argument. They say something like, well, we're never told that we can't sing other songs. Well, that's not the regular principle. That's the normative right, principle. Exactly. I actually think the question that has to be asked is not what are we allowed to sing, but what are we commanded to sing? And so when I go to this passage, when I read these passages, uh, and I'm following Calvin on this to an extent, uh, Calvin didn't was not exclusive psalmody. He sang the Apostles' Creed in his church. He sang Christmas hymns in his church. He sang other scriptural songs in his church. How dare he? How dare he? Um, so in, in, in uh, his commentary on Ephesians 5.19, he says, um, what, is, what may be the exact difference between psalms and hymns or between hymns and songs? It's not easy to determine, though a few remarks on this subject shall be offered on a future occasion. And then if you go to that future occasion, which is his commentary on Colossians, he says here, uh, psalms and hymns. He does not restrict the words of Christ to these particular departments, but rather intimates that all of our communication should be adapted to edification. And even those which tend to hilarity may have no empty savor, right? So he's saying basically what Jesse said. What Paul is saying is that we need to sing scriptural songs. That right. doesn't necessarily, and this is me saying this, not Calvin. That doesn't mean that we only sing scripture. 
It means we sing right. songs that are characterized by their nature as scriptural, the same way we confess creeds that are characterized by their nature exactly. as scriptural, even though they are not scripture. And then he goes on and says, and this is this is where I think it's really, um, really important. He says, farther under these three terms includes all kinds of songs. They are commonly distinguished in this way, that a psalm is that in the singing of which some musical instrument besides the tongue is made use of. Sorry, acapella only people. A hymn is properly a song of praise, whether it be sung simply with the voice or otherwise, and an ode contains not merely praises, but exhortations and other matters. He would have the songs of Christians, however, to be spiritual, not made up of frivolities, worthless trifles, for this has a connection yes. with his argument. So he's saying there are psalms. Psalms are characterized. The word psalm in, in Hebrew, I think it's solo. Uh, the word solo in, in Greek, which is the translation of the Hebrew, just means to pluck. So it's it's songs that were written to be played on a harp, which makes sense given who David was and that he played the harp. Most of these songs were played with accompaniment by a stringed instrument. And then he says, hymns are songs that are songs of praise and odes are songs that have praise and exhortation. Right. <clears throat> Sorry about the cough. Um, Bless you. He, where I go with this, and as I understand it, sort of riffing off of what Calvin has said, Paul is saying... Look, you have these three categories of songs. They're common songs in the, in the Psalter, so you should understand them to be scriptural songs. But also, they were common songs in the vernacular style of the day. And this is where I want to spend the balance of our time is singing in the church is supposed to be congregational singing. Right on. So Paul is commanding the people to sing songs that are the kinds of songs that they know how to sing, right? Right. So when you go to a church like um, Hillsong, and they're writing songs that are basically like Coldplay songs that are performed and that you're just sort of expected to listen. <clears throat> That's not congregational singing. And we have a little, I have a little bit of experience with this recently because we, we, during COVID, we were meeting virtually and we tried for a long time to make, uh, make regular congregational singing work. Um, Jesse was kind enough during sort of the first lockdown with permission of his pastor to kind of join us in our congregational singing and lead us. Um, right. which was really helpful. But during the sort of second round of, of COVID lockdowns, we didn't have that option. And so although this isn't ideal, and I know there are some some legal ethical questions about this that should be considered strongly, we opted to take music videos from um, from YouTube that had lyrics imposed on top of them, and we sang with them. And what we found is that's really hard to do because these songs are performance tracks that are not arranged for congregational singing. Right. So when we when we gather as a community and we do singing, we have to sing in a style and in a, a mode and a way that the congregation can actually join us. So that's what I take Paul primarily to be saying is you sing for sure, sing to one another and you sing to one another in the style of song that's common in the day so that anyone who wants to and who is able to can join in. That's what I take right this on. to mean, not to be a specific reference to like the canon of songs that you're allowed to sing. And I use that word canon both ironically, but also not ironically. It's not a reference to like, here are the set types of lyrics that you're allowed to sing, whether that's the scripture as a whole, whether that is, um, you know, whether that is the Psalter specifically, I don't take it to be a reference to that. I take it to be a reference to say, sing to each other. And here are some styles that are common among your people. Sing in these styles. Use these forms of praise. We have to be sure congregational singing is actually congregational. That, I think, is the central point of these passages. 
Yeah, I think you're right on about that because all, the whole thing about the regular principle of worship is that everything has to have a warrant. God gives a warrant for what right. is actually commanded, not the absence of that thing, but what he actually explicitly says should be part of worship because he is the one worthy of worship. And so he gets to command and choose that. We've spoken at length about that before. So let's just go right to the source so that people know exactly what we're talking about from it's particularly like Ephesians 5. Right. And I'm just going to pick up like at the end of the first section, starting verse 17. But here's what Paul has done so far. He's talked about the fact that the days, the days are evil. They require redemption, that God's people are part of that process, that they have a role to fill in that. And then in verse 17, he starts this way, which I think to me, like it, you tell me if I'm wrong, I find this kind of funny, um, but uh, maybe it's not. He starts by saying, therefore... Do not be foolish. In other words, like stop being dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, but understand then what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So in other words, that is a foolishness that is subpar. It's a shadow of being filled with something, which you want to be filled with instead. If you want a, a transcendent force, so to speak, something outside yourself, be filled with the spirit. And how will you know? One of the ways is addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and in everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. My word, we could spend like another two hours yeah. just on that chapter because you have like, do you see like the, all the parties involved? You are addressing one another. So the, the Sims, the Psalms, the Sims, the Psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs are actually to one another, making melody to the Lord, giving thanks to God in submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right. In the spirit. Like that, the, exactly. Like that's a heavy, yeah. like that should be like plastered writ large on like every person's, every church's like worship manual. That's what it's all about. So to your point, what I think you're getting like right on the money is that effectively singing is in effect a form of teaching and admonishing one another. And the teaching takes place not only by hearing the message that the people around us sing, but by in fact singing the message ourselves. Right. And that benefit is confirmed by this these modern observations about like, of course, how people even learn. So people learn more effectively and more deeply if they not only hear, but if they try to re-express what they learn. So getting one's voice involved deepens one's participation. Now, practically speaking, as a person, you play music regularly and so do I, and I participate in that worship process. We ought to be the kind of people that are making sure that the congregational voice, like capital V, is represented and mixed into all of the yeah. other instrumentation. In other words, if your sound person is essentially mixing out the congregational voice, I'm arguing that they're doing it incorrectly yes. because you need to hear your own voice and you need to hear the voice of the neighbor that's next to you, because this is what building up the church means. And when Paul gives this command, he's saying, build up the church by making sure one, the music that you sing is in a key that you can actually sing it in. Right. And even if you're not a musical person, you no doubt have been in a service where you've been like, why is this so low? Yeah. Or why is this so <laughs> high that I can't possibly sing this? That matters that we should be thoughtful in how we bring that forward Two that it's cogent. That is that it's, you're able to understand to some degree with some focus, what the words actually mean. And that two, three, they actually mean something. Yes. And then four, that the voice of the congregation is an equal instrument to any other instrument that's being represented on the Lord's day. That may sound like we're getting into like the nuance of how, what music sounds like, but I actually think that's what Paul is after here, yeah. because if the argument is true, 
that we should be lifting our voices in praise to God for the benefit of one another, though it must be heard. If it must be heard, it must be understandable. And Paul speaks about speaking in tongues and all other stuff elsewhere about the necessary requirements that what we're saying be the kind of thing that we can cogently appreciate and give intellectual assent to, and then that would inform our worship. But in addition to that, that of course, having music is this great gift that God has given us, noise by design, so that people will remember the songs that we have sung repeatedly and will embrace them more deeply. That's the act of participation in preaching the gospel in your own voice, just set to musical melody. So it's like a beautiful thing. And the last thing I'll say is, I was just having a conversation with a dear sister in Christ this last week, whose mother is in the deep stages of a really horrific dementia. And in many ways, the only thing, literally the only thing that she remembers is the, the, ha, the, the, hums, the hymns and the Psalms. That's Hams is both of those together <laughs> that she sang in her youth. Yeah. And she still clings to those and brings them up and wants to sing them with others. And in some ways, I think that's God's gift to us that even in the sinfulness of our temporal existence, where sometimes what happens is we lose all of who we are, our memories, our cognizance, our sense of who we actually are, that what remains in some way is scripture tied to music. Yes. And I think like that's a great gift. We should just underemphasize this. And for anybody that feels like they, they, they see or they listen to the worship on the Lord's Day and they say, at least in their mind, I feel so inadequate because I don't sound like that. It doesn't matter. God is not embarrassed by our singing. He's never embarrassed by our singing. He commands it for this reason. It's not just about the singing. It's about the fact that this implants the word into our hearts. If in fact, the songs that we sing are rooted in the word. Yeah. End of speech. Yeah. And I think, I think (laughs) everything that you're saying is true and that underscores why it is so important for the songs that we're singing to be scriptural songs, to be spiritual songs. That's the point Calvin makes at the end. It's not just enough to sing in these styles of music, right? It's not just enough to sing, you know, a song that's accompanied by a harp or a song that contains praise or a song that is got exhortation in it. They have to be spiritual songs, spiritual. And I would take that to mean scriptural songs, not in the sort of direct sense that you have to sing scripture Although you can, that's a fine thing to do. I think. I think the best of when course. I think of the best, uh, the best songs that I remember the most are usually the ones that are closest to just straight musical accompaniment to scripture. That said, there are plenty of great songs that are scriptural in the sense that they have a close fidelity to scripture that are incredibly meaningful. But that is absolutely vital because I'm sure all of us have this experience. I joked around a couple, I don't know, it was a couple episodes ago about how sometimes like Apple Music will just throw a song on that I haven't listened to in a decade and I'll still remember every word of the song. That's a reality. Right. Our our brains are wired that way. That's why that's part of why Paul says to make melody to the Lord in your heart. This song, the songs are working their way down into your very being, not in like the weird ontological sense, but in the sense that like it becomes a part of you because it works its way into your memory so deeply that you can't get it out and it will come out at strange times. And I can remember, I can remember distinctly times where I've been praying or when I've been worshiping, you know, by music, or when I'm I'm in a sermon and a song that I had heard decades ago, um, that isn't an orthodox song. That's not a good song for us to be singing, like a, a weird wishy washy 
um, like evangelical song with terrible theology. I will right. remember that song and it will be a distraction to me. And it will mm. be something that if I'm not careful when I'm praying, it actually kind of drags my prayers to an unorthodox end by the language that's coming forward. Sometimes I'll find myself praying and I'm like, why would I pray that? That's not even an orthodox prayer. And I'll interrogate it a little bit and I'll realize it's because there's this song that I I listened to when I was in college that just wasn't a good song, but I didn't know any better. It is so important for us to root ourselves and ground ourselves in scriptural songs because that stuff will come out. It, not everybody is going to have these these terrible incidents of dementia. But all of us are going to suffer memory loss. All of us are going to sure. have a degradation of our cognitive abilities. Right on. But those musical notes, those things that get embedded in your head, those are often the last things to go when you have that degradation. And they're all music is often the first thing that comes back to mind when you're kind of in sort of like a daydream state where you're not thinking actively. A lot of times music and the songs you've sung, um, those things are they're there. So it's important for you to have scriptural songs. And I would actually add this just as a, maybe as like a, a last plea to the listener. Um, most of our churches, and I, I would include my own church in this. Uh, I don't actually know a non capital R reformed church. I've, I haven't experienced a, a non capital R reformed church that does this well. Um, and this, so this isn't an indictment. It, it's just a weakness, a, a, a limitation that most evangelical churches and churches with that background have do not do a good job of actually incorporating the Psalms in their public worship. Right. And I would, I would share, you know, since I've started singing the Psalms privately, it has really shaped my prayer life. It's really shaped my own personal piety to have those those scriptural songs in the capital S, these are scripture songs, to have those in my heart and to think through those lyrics and to help me just memorize the scriptures. Um, I would encourage you, if you're in a position where you are leading musical worship, or if you have the ear of the, the worship leader or the pastor at your church, to encourage them to incorporate the the canonical psalms in the worship of the church. I think it's so vital and it brings such life to the congregation. And that's funny because I I think sometimes people will hear those songs and they'll be like, "Oh man, those lyrics are so deep. Where did you get those from?" And it's just the psalms. It's just uh, it's quote just the psalms. Like it's God's gift right. to us. And we, we largely in the evangelical world have we've ignored them or at best we've turned the psalms into sort of a poppy catchy way to to sing. And I think most of them deserve a, a deeper level of gravity than that. Um, not that I don't love Better Is One Day. I think that's a phenomenal song. I think that's a good example of modifying the Psalms to be a more contemporary style of song that is still deeply, deeply rooted in what the scripture has to say. Yeah, that's right on. So let me accompany that with my own kind of affirmation and challenge. And that is, I so this is going out there a little a little bit a little bit but it's taking what we just talked about and really pulling out what might be some nice application that is in addition if you're a person that is leading worship participating and worship through music I mean because worship isn't of course exclusively music but music is a large part of that and at least when we speak colloquially we, when we say worship we mean music but that's that's a bad comparison anyway with all that said is I think the gift, one of the gifts that God has given us to the church, and I was just talking to my team about this very thing, is that if you have people or yourself in your congregation that are able, willing to write music, and by I mean write music, create melodies, that you might have, consider that you might have a unique responsibility and perhaps an, even a burden to bring about new music for your church to sing that is relevant to the things that you're studying at that point in yeah. time. 
And I think that's a great benefit. I've had that opportunity to do that in my own church. And I think the beauty of it is you don't need to come up with the lyrics yourself. God has given you his word to guide and direct you in that and to write music that is for a time such as this, as you are studying, processing, exegeting the scriptures together. I think there's great value in that. And I think we ought to explore that because what Paul makes clear to us is that those living with a spirit-filled life delight to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ by addressing them in music. And so if you can play a part in that, you really ought to. I think there's a really great gift that God gives us in that. Christian praise should be richly theological. It should be deeply devotional. And the fundamental presupposition should never be, of course, just like the catchiness of the music, but the scriptural character of the words. So just as in a Reformed world, we would always quickly say that Christian teaching and preaching should be scrutinized by the authority of God's word so also should Christian worship be similarly scrutinized. We've got to do it. And just to bring it all around, if you need help taking a scripture passage, or perhaps you would like to write a uh, a song version of the book of Jude, I just asked, uh, I can tell by Jesse's choking on the, so, uh, the liquid that he was drinking that he knew where I was going with this. I just asked chat.openai, uh, chat GPT to write a pop song based on the book of Jude. And I'll just share with you the first verse and the please, chorus here. Please do. It's actually, actually I'm going to say the whole thing because it's stunningly <laughs> accurate. And someone, <laughs> Let's do it. someone should write music to this, uh, Jesse. Um, verse one, <laughs> in the book of Jude, a warning is given of false prophets who try to lead us astray, but we are called to fight for the truth and never let our faith fade away. And then here's the Ooh. chorus. Jude, oh Jude, our guide in troubled times. Jude, oh Jude, your words will help us rise. We will stand strong and not be swayed by the lies of those who try to take us astray. Verse two, the book of Jude tells us to be on guard against the forces that seek to deceive. We must hold fast to what we know is right and never let our faith be overthrown. And then the bridge, it even wrote a bridge. Through the storm and the raging sea, we will cling to your word and be set free. In your name, we will overcome and follow the paths of righteousness, O Jude. Uh, that's pretty good. I mean, that's pretty yeah. pretty good. And it's funny yeah, because there's bad. been like an argument on, I've seen this on Twitter, arguments online, the exclusive psalmody crowd are having a field day with this. People are like telling this thing to write Advent hymns. And I'm not, I'm not seriously advocating that we let a chat AI write songs for us because I do of think course. that's something that we as the church should be doing, not just outsourcing it to some algorithm. Um, but it actually is pretty good. Like it did a pretty good job. And I think this, this just demonstrates it's possible. Like I made it as a joke exactly. to write a song exactly. about the book of Jude, but I could see a church writing someone who's talented in songwriting taking the book of Jude and the themes of the book of Jude and writing a song that the congregation can sing together each week that not only is meaningful and worshipful, it's scripturally sound, but it brings the the attention of the sermon. It brings the sermon and the meaning of the book. It brings to attention and prepares them for the sermon. I think that that would be a phenomenal way to sort of I don't know, like the icing on the cake of the, 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 the series of the, um, of the service. Yeah. You're, uh, you're totally right about that. If anything, doesn't it prove that like, like you said, it can be done, but we should not be outdone by some dumb AI bot. <laughs> exactly. Like that it's, if the AI bot can put together and it's all it's doing is just like reading and trying to synthesize information, then that just says the truth is in the scriptures and it can be sung. All of the scriptures can be sung. 
And we ought to do that because that's, in fact, the example we're given. And practically speaking, it's it's wholly possible. So here's what I would say. If you're looking for a good way to get introduced to more Psalms in like a place where they've been sung for you, they've been composed, go look at, grab your phone, whatever your favorite device is, go search for the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Because what you'll find there, if you're a musical person, you'll find the actual, when you download that app, it's there is a price to it. It's worth every penny. Just spend the money because what you're doing is supporting the copyright, all the music that goes behind that, yeah. and that's worth doing. But you'll find all of the musical accompaniment. In other words, you could play it if you can read music. And second, you'll actually find the music itself so you can sing along. And I have this, this grand idea in the new year in 2023, uh, as my schedule opens up and allows me to, Lord willing is I'd love to take some of those songs and make them a little bit more contemporary. What you'll hear in the app is just piano accompaniment. They are so beautiful though. The melodies are so catchy and the theology is so rich that it's like the perfect trifecta of all those things. All I want to do is like slap a little electric guitar in there, put a little (laughs) drums on the side because here's the thing, right? Like uh, to your point, Tony, like I think sometimes what we have tested is that the music we hear that's catchy this isn't always true, but sometimes it's true that it just lacks a, a depthness, like a, a depth that is like rich. And so this is already set before you and you don't have to recompose it. You just kind of have to remix it a little bit. If you're looking for something that just to your ear sounds a little bit more modern, but all of the roots are there. And I, I just want to plant myself deeply into what's already been written. There's, there's no need here to reinvent a lot of stuff, but there is, I think, a need to bring some new instrumentation to it. And what a great opportunity. So go check out the Trinity Psalter hymnal. I think, is that what you're using? Like when you sing the Psalms yeah. yourself, are you using that? Yeah, I use the Trinity Psalter app. It's got musical accompaniment, um, which is super helpful. Um, it's got the lyrics. You, It actually has hymns built in too from the Trinity hymnal portion of it. Right on. So if you are not wanting to only sing Psalms, some of those are really classic hymns. Some of them are more modern hymns. So I, I mean, it's, it's a, I think the app is $10, but it is worth every yes. penny. It's more than paid dividends in terms of my spiritual life. Yeah. yeah, It's, it's super good. And the thing about that's super cool is this is the podcast full of me saying recommendations. I said this before as an affirmation, grab a version of the Psalms that you keep on your desk as your own prayer book. So that as you're praying, doing daily worship, you bring that in. Here's what I recommend. You read or pray that Psalm, then go find that bad boy in the Trinity Psalter hymnal and you'll have a different appreciation for the thing that you've just read now set to music and you will not be disappointed. You'll be like, I I don't even want to go to work today because I just want to sit here and worship the Lord. I mean, you should worship the Lord in your work. So probably you'll be like, I'll just transfer my worship as I move along through the day. It's true. A little bit of transformationalism going on there. That's not at all. That's not at all what I meant. (laughs) Well, we have uh, we have blown past the one hour mark. So I had another little funny thing I was going to say, but instead I'm just going to tell you too. If you want to want to experience a fun, wait, 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 wait. wait. Listen, there's no rules. This is this is like you should say what you want to say. Well, I just asked OpenGPT to write a (laughs) write a hymn about exclusive psalmody, and there was a part of me that kind of hoped that it had an existential crisis. But yeah. it actually wrote a pretty interesting sounding hymn. The chorus says, or the refrain, I suppose it would be if it was a hymn. Exclusive psalmody, our heart's true melody. In Christ we sing his praises and lift our voices high. Which is a pretty accurate representation <laughs> of the theory, the theology of, of exclusive psalmody. But it's funny that I, I made it write a hymn about exclusive psalmody. Yeah, it, again, it's it's not like we're saying like that stuff isn't 
connected to the scriptures and has strong ties to it and represents it accurately. It's just that it does to, I would say it's just too narrow. So again, right. I would say like in challenge, like here's the thing. There's a lot of things that are in the Psalms, in the scriptures that we don't sing, but especially in the Psalms, we have like the worship of the Lord with clanging cymbals. I mean, you know what that sounds like, right? That's right. hardcore. How many clanging cymbals <laughs> have you had in this, in your worship recently? And that's not just cultural. I mean, we get some direction. So, but the problem is if you invoke that as like a prescriptive, very narrowly prescriptive way of worshiping the Lord, then you probably should have more symbol action yeah. in your worship. Yeah. Also, it's like sacrifices. No, that that's a straw man <laughs> argument. I'll get into that. And we we, <laughs> we probably do need to wrap it up, even though we don't want to and we don't have to. But we don't have to. My voice There's no is, rules with this. My voice is probably going to go out any minute here. So all of that said, we are super excited to continue this little section on corporate worship. Um, check out the Trinity Salter hymnal app. Uh, it's, it'll definitely be worth your $10, um, to pick it up. And that does, that does go to support the work of, of the manufacturers and whatnot. Um, and then also make sure you check out our website, reformbrotherhood.com. There's a number of ways to get involved that are no longer applicable, but you can, uh, become, (laughs) become a part of the reform brotherhood. You can join the telegram chat. Uh, yes. t.me slash reform brotherhood. I did find out they've lowered the amount of people you need to 100, but they are only allowing channels or groups that are not groups based off channels to activate topics at this time. So we have the sufficient numbers, but we are a channel group. So it's still not letting us have topics, but you should join anyways, because when we get those topics, oh man, it's going to be on point. Oh man. oh man. So all of that said, before I scatter off into some other random AI driven uh, rabbit hole uh, until next time, Jesse honor everyone sing with your brothers and sisters and love the brotherhood. Oh.